Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm not preaching through the book of Hebrews, but I'm preaching on faith for the next however long it takes. I have no idea. We're going to go where this leads us. As I said, when we had the first message in this series, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 is where we'll be reading in a moment. True faith, and I want you to understand what I said, true faith in God reveals itself in a full confidence in Him. Now, I'm not talking about a partial trust like so many seem to have. You know, some want to trust God when they get in a jam and they can't get out of it. But I'm talking about constantly, continually, daily trusting God. Because that's what faith means. Faith means confidence. It means reliability, reliance upon God. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, the Word of God says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. It is Father's Day, and I'm going to talk about a father. Now, this is not a special Father's Day message just for the men, okay? I didn't preach a special Mother's Day message for the ladies, and I'm not going to slight you by preaching a special, although I would like to sometimes, <laughs> special Father's Day message to the men. But we're going to talk about a father, and that father's name, of course, as we read just a moment ago, is Abraham. Abraham is mentioned twice here in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now, we call the 11th chapter of Hebrews God's Hall of the Faithful, God's Hall of Fame for the Faithful. It's got a lot of different names. But to get mentioned twice in this 11th chapter. The first time Abraham's faith is mentioned because as we studied recently or we heard recently that God said, I'm going to lead you to a place. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'll just tell you that you're there when you get there. And Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God, he followed God, and God led him to the land of Canaan. Now, the second time, as we just read, God has said to Abraham, Sacrifice your son. Offer him as a burnt offering to me. And Abraham was ready to fully surrender everything to God. I don't know if it was an accident, if it was pre-planned, or if Brother Rick decided to do this after he got the PowerPoint and the title of the message for this morning, but I just think it's wonderful that we sang, Have Thy Own Way, and then that we sang right behind that, I Surrender All. Now, how many of that should really be our desire, but for how many of us is that our desire? Lord, have your way in my life, whatever it is. I'm hoping, I'm ready, just have your way in my life. And you know what, Lord? I'm just going to surrender everything to you. I'm going to truly and fully trust you and depend upon you. So as we think about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, you say, well, he didn't really sacrifice him. Oh, we're going to see that he did. As we think about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, we find that it's mentioned in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, and I'll be referring to that 22nd chapter of Genesis in just a little bit. I can't think of many others in the Word of God who were asked to give up as much as Abraham was. You know, Job, 
because of his faith and in and faithfulness to God, lost his fortune, he lost his family, and you might as well say he lost his friends. But God eventually restored it all to him many times over. The Apostle Paul gave up his position, gave up his power, gave up his pride as a Pharisee to serve God. But Abraham is being asked to give up I think one of the most precious things that a man can have, and that is his only son. And God says, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, here's a real quick note about worship and obedience. They go together. Worship and obedience might as well be synonyms. If you're not obedient to God, you're not truly worshiping God. And if you're not obedient... To God in your daily living, I don't care how many church services you attend, you're really not worshiping God. Worship and obedience to God go hand in hand. You know, I can't imagine what went through Abraham's mind when God said this, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Can you imagine if God said that to you about one of your children? And yet in Abraham we see a man who does what? He doesn't question God. He does what God says. And we're going to see his faith as we go through this message. But he just obeys God. We see a worshiper. He's acting in complete obedience. He's acting in full surrender. He's acting in monumental faith to God. Lord, you promised me a son. Lord, you gave me a son. Lord, you said through this son, all of the nations of the earth should be blessed. And now, Lord, you want me to offer him as a sacrifice to you? I'll do it. That takes some faith, folks. That takes some dependence upon God. You know, as we go through life, we're probably not going to be asked by God to build an altar and put our children on that altar and sacrifice them to God. In fact, I'm sure we're not going to be asked to do that by the Lord. He wants us to give our children to Him in other ways. I've heard of, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, but I've heard of people who when they have a new child come into the family and that baby is born, they bring that baby before the church and right there in front of everybody. See, God knows our hearts. But right there in front of everybody, they just dedicate that child to the Lord. I don't have any problem with that. But I tell you what, you can dedicate that child to God right in the hospital or right in your own home when that child is born. And how many parents today are willing to have a child and say, Lord, this is yours. I dedicate this child to you. And I'm going to bring this child, or we're going to bring this child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Because we want a son or we want a daughter or we want children that are dedicated to you. I tell you what's sad today is we have so many parents. Well, we have so many today that don't want children. And therefore the abortion industry thrives. They want to have their little flings. But then they don't want to have the result of those flings. Then we have people who want children who can't have children. And that's sad. 
But then we have people who have children who seem to think those children are a burden. They're too much. You realize, those of us who are parents, and I think so many of us are, you realize that children take a lot of work. <laughs> you spend a lot of time with that child and teaching that child and all of the things that we have to do as parents. But this Word of God says that a, children are a blessing from the Lord. And in fact, in the 127th Psalm, it says, Blessed is the man who hath his quiver full of them. They're just like arrows, the Word of God says. You know what you can do with an arrow? You can point that arrow at the enemy and you can let it go. And that's what we need to do with children today is point them at the enemy. Train them. Bring them up in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord and then point them at the enemy and just let go. But I tell you what, once that arrow is away from that bow, you can't direct it after that. And we have parents today who are pointing the children in the wrong direction. And then when they get, you know, 16, 18, 19 years old, they come to the pastor and they say, where did I go wrong? Well, way back there, in the beginning, you didn't aim the bow in the right direction. I don't know how I got off on that, but I did. But there may be some things that come in our lives that God requires, requests, wants of us that we respond to or that we have to respond to. And sometimes from a purely human standpoint, we don't want to respond to it. We might have to deal with a loss of a loved one. Rather not do that. But it's coming. It's appointed unto man once to die, the scripture says, and after that the judgment. But in all things, God desires absolute and total obedience and total surrender to His will and to His word. Over in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, and if you recall what is happening in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul has gone against the Amalekites. By God's power, the Israelites have defeated the Amalekites. And God had told Saul, wipe them out. And yet Saul did what? Saved the best of the flocks. And he saved King Agag alive. And when Samuel showed up on the scene, I love the way Samuel asked this. Have you done everything the Lord told you to do? Saul said, yes, I did. And Samuel said, then why am I hearing sheep bleeding and why am I hearing cattle lowing? And you know what Saul did? I was talking to the Sunday school class earlier and I talked about my responsibility as a pastor to this church and to God. And when Samuel asked that question of Saul, what did Saul say? The people wanted it. The people wanted to save the best of the flocks and the people wanted to save King Agag. But Saul, you're the king. You're the leader. You're the one that God gave the responsibility of leading this people and of doing what God said to do. So here's what Samuel said to Saul. That was a long way to get to this, but verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken better than the fat of rams. There's something better than giving a big offering. There's something better. By the way, don't quit giving. <laughs> Somebody say, you said don't give, preacher. No, I didn't say that. 
But there's something better than giving a big offering. And you know what that is? That's doing what God said to do. Being obedient to the Lord. What does Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 say? I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants obedience out of his people. Now our text and the verses in chapter 22 of Genesis have some very powerful lessons about the connection between true faith in God and worship, and full surrender to God for His will in our lives. Notice what Abraham says. Just turn back to Genesis 22 for a moment, and look at what Abraham says in Genesis 22. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he's already reached the point at Mount Moriah where he's about to take Isaac up into the mountain and offer him to God. And in verse 5, look at what he tells his young men. Abraham said unto his young men, Remember, God's told Abraham to sacrifice his son, But he says to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. This is the first time the word worship is mentioned in the word of God. And what is Abraham doing? He's making an offering to God. He's being obedient to God. And what this verse connects is, again, obedience and the worship of God. Hebrews 11 Verse 17 says, by faith, see faith is involved in our worship. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. How could Abraham take his son up into the mountain and lay him on an altar, draw back a knife to slay his son because God told him to? How could he do it? He could do it by faith. That's the only way to do it, by trusting God. By the way, the only way you and I will be able to fully obey God, to fully worship God, is one way, and that's by faith. We walk by faith. I know we had this verse last week, but we walk by faith, not by sight. So what we learn is that faith is a vital element in our worship of God. We come here, we call this the worship service. And it needs to be, it ought to be, I believe it is. But we come here to worship God. We need to come here in faith, in trusting God. I'm not talking about just saving faith. I'm talking about sanctifying faith. The kind of faith that helps us live different from the world. The kind of faith that helps us live daily for God. Why? Because verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when we come to God, we must come in faith. And then verse 19 of Hebrews 11 shows us the degree of faith that Abraham had, because look at what it says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he received him in a figure. You say, but he didn't kill Isaac. Oh, yes, he did. It says in a figure. Abraham drew back that knife and in the heart and in the mind of Abraham, his son was dead. He didn't actually kill him and I understand that. God provided, you remember the account, God provided the ram hung in a thorn bush. But in his heart, Abraham sacrificed his son to God that day. And God recognized that. God recognized that faith and God recognized that obedience. 
And notice what God said here in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. What a testimony to have from God. You know, a testimony from man's a good thing. We like for people to say good things about us. But for God to say, I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham had faith. Listen, you can't see faith, can you? There's only one way to see faith. You see faith in the things that we do. And Abraham demonstrated his faith in God. So there's a connection between faith, full surrender, and full obedience to God. I want you to see something else here in this 22nd chapter of Genesis. Abraham's taking Isaac up the mountain. They're going up to the place where Abraham is going to offer his son to God. And as they ascend the mountain, I love this. Isaac says, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, dad, father, we're going to go make an offering to God. And you got everything you need except one thing. You don't have a lamb. How are you going to offer a bird offering to God without a lamb? And Abraham's response, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, in Abraham's mind at that point, he's thinking Isaac. And then God intervened and provided the ram to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. But again, he had such faith in God. He could say to his son, God's going to provide God's going to give us a lamb to offer, thinking it's going to be you. But he had such faith in God, he not only surrendered his, Abraham's future to God, he surrendered his entire family's future to God. Now, since this is Father's Day, I'll say this. Dads, do we have such faith in God that we are willing to surrender our family's entire future to God? Not, you know, if I surrender my future to God, that's one thing. But if I surrender my family's future, I'm talking about my wife, I'm talking about my children. If I surrender their future to God, that is something else altogether. But I'm willing to surrender it to God in faithful obedience to Him. How many of us today would have such faith in God that we're just willing to do that? Lord, I don't know what you have in the future for my family, and I don't know what you have in my future for me, but I'm just giving them over to you. My life, my family's life, it's in your hands. Now, that's no excuse for laziness, by the way. But we just say, Lord, our future is in your hands. Full surrender to God is neither cheap nor is it easy, folks. It'll cost Abraham surrendered to God in his heart and in his mind cost him his son. And full surrender is always costly. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. I love what David said there. Remember, he wanted to purchase the threshing floor of Aruna and have a place to worship God there. And Aruna said, I'll just give the land to you. And I'll give the oxen to you for a burnt offering. And I'll give the yoke of the oxen to you so you can build a fire. You remember what David said there in that 24th verse of the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel? Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. 
If I'm going to worship God, I'm going to sacrifice. It's going to cost me something. I heard one preacher say one time, and I've always liked this, and I've shared it with you before, but he said the only thing that we know about sacrifice today is how to spell it and where to find it in the dictionary. I'm not asking for an answer, but I'm going to ask you a question. What did it cost you to come to church this morning? Well, preacher, I had to get up. (laughs) I couldn't sleep in. I didn't even get to have brunch. I had to eat donuts. Thank you, Brother Rick. Uh, well, well I, there was some place I wanted to go today. There was this going on or that going on. Or I wanted to go here. I wanted to go there. And I gave it all up. Well, congratulations. No, it's going to cost us something. And more than just a few minutes inconvenience. Again, you realize how much time we give God. If we're in Sunday school, preaching service on Sunday night, how much time we give God on a Sunday? Three hours, folks. Three hours. And there are folks that can't sacrifice three hours to God on a Sunday, and yet they want to be called Christians. They want to talk about their obedience to God. They want to talk about their faithfulness to God. No, it will cost you something. And I think the approach that many people have today toward the worship and toward the service and toward surrender and toward obedience to God is an insult to a holy God who has given His only begotten Son that we might have everlasting life so long as it doesn't cost me too much so long as it doesn't inconvenience me so long as it doesn't interfere with my plans oh then I'll worship God oh then I'll surrender to God now we won't vocalize those words will we we might not even consciously observe them or admit them in our minds but many times They're seen in our doing. So many people today are willing to give absolutely nothing to the one who gave everything that we might have everlasting life. Well, the title of this message is Faith Produces Full Surrender. Maybe I should have said true faith produces full surrender. I think that's what we're talking about today. We're not talking about head faith. We're not talking about head knowledge. We're not talking about this dreamy, I type of faith. Oh, I have faith in God. No, we're talking about committed faith. Faith that produces a commitment. It brings full surrender. And it makes some demands upon our lives. First of all, full surrender requires a relationship. And there's the first problem. There are people who want to wear the name Christian. Who want to wear the name of Christ. Who want to claim Him. But they do not know Him. They've made some kind of head ascent, some kind of mental ascent. Oh, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and therefore I must be saved. No, until you're willing to turn to God in true repentance, acknowledge before Him, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I deserve hell, I'm going to hell, not because of what I do. There's so many people, and I hear it even from some Baptist preachers who seem to indicate that it's the things you do that are going to send you to hell. No, it is not. You know why you sin? Because you're a sinner. That's your nature. And until a man recognizes, a woman recognizes, a boy or girl recognizes, my nature is a sin nature and that separates me from God. And if I die in that condition, I'm going to be separated from Him till eternity. Until they realize that, they're not going to do anything about it. I mean, you can get people all over the world to say, I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe Jesus was a prophet. I believe Jesus was the Son of God. But the vast majority of the world doesn't know Christ as Savior. 
Abraham knew the Lord. <laughs> he knew the reality of his righteousness before God. And so I'm going to ask you to just do a deep inward question this morning. Are you sure of the reality of your righteousness before God? Because of the blood of his dear son. And if you're not, you need to ask God either to convict you that you need to be saved or convince you that you are. Genesis 15, 6 says of Abraham that he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. James says, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. His faith in God is what saved his soul. That's why he could be righteous before God. Now listen, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're going to have this great faith all the time, does it? Abraham's faith was rocky sometimes. I mean, you think about Abraham, first of all, just leaving Haran. God said, don't take anybody of your family with you. And who did he take? He said, I got to take Lot with me. And so he took his family with him. And that ends up causing a problem. He goes down into Egypt and he's so afraid that Pharaoh will fall in love with Sarah and want her for his wife. He lies about who she is. Well, he tells a half lie and a half lie is a whole lie. Okay. And so he lies about who she is and gets run out of Egypt by an ungodly, unsaved man. Then God promises a child. And he listens to his wife. Nothing against you ladies. <laughs> but he listens to his wife. And she says, I know how God means to do this. You go into Hagar and have a child by Hagar, your handmaid, and we'll call this our child. And they've been having trouble in the Middle East ever since. Amen. No, God intended for Abraham and Sarah to have a child, and they did eventually. See, we get tired of waiting on God sometimes, and we hurry things up. And when we do, we're going to have a mess, folks. Then, as if he didn't learn in Egypt, he goes to Abimelech in Gerar and thinks the same thing about Sarah. Must have been beautiful, I tell you what. Because he thinks, boy, he's going to love her and he's going to have me killed so he can have her for his wife. And so he lies about her. And the same thing that happened in Egypt happens with Abimelech. I mean, time and time again. But you know what? Abraham has problems with his faith. Now, he's had faith under righteousness. He's had saving faith. But sometimes his sanctifying faith isn't what it ought to be. But Abraham, though he wasn't perfect, he knew the Lord as Savior. And as he... See, all of these problems are early on. Abraham grows in faith. And listen, if you're saved, if you've recently been saved... If you've been saved a long time but you haven't grown in faith, that's what you need to do is grow in your faith toward God. James says the trying of your faith will work your patience, endurance. And God may put you in a situation where you have no one else to depend on but Him and you have to trust Him fully. Well, guess what? God's growing your faith. Do you know that you know that you know that you are a child of God? I hope you do. It's possible. The Word of God tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that John wrote that letter of 1 John so that you may know 
that you have life. You can know whether you're saved or not. Is there a time that you can go back to in your life when you were convicted by the Holy Spirit that you were a sinner separated from God, that you were deserving of hell, that you were going to hell, and in that repentance toward God, you turn to God. That's what repentance is, is turning to God. In that repentance, you turn to God and you ask Him to save you and you depended upon one thing for your salvation and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice on Calvary. Is there a time in your life that you did that? If you did not, you need to be saved. Now, if you're truly saved, you've probably been like Abraham. There's probably been times in your life that your faith in God wavered. You were a little bit rocky. You even got out of fellowship with God. See, we can never lose the relationship, but we can get out of fellowship with God. And there may have been times you got out of fellowship with God. But regardless of being out of fellowship with God, you still have the relationship. Jesus said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You look over to the sixth chapter of the book of John. And I think I shared these verses just recently, but we're going to look at them again. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 38. Look what Jesus said. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me. Note, underline these words in your Bible. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. See, what I'm telling you is if you can lose your salvation, Jesus didn't do the Father's will. If Jesus didn't do the Father's will, he wasn't the perfect sacrifice. And if he wasn't the perfect sacrifice, we're all lost and going to hell, folks. And verse 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You can't get any more secure than those are the words of Jesus Christ. So first of all, Full surrender to God demands a, a relationship. A lot of times we refer to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But for a lot of folks, He's just Savior. They've never made Him Lord of their lives. Now, until we surrender to Him, He cannot truly be Lord of our lives. So full surrender demands a relationship, but it demands a readiness. Because you go back to Genesis 22 and just look at what Abraham did. He responded to God immediately. God said, here's what I want you to do. What did Abraham do? He did it. Okay? And you start reading those verses there in Genesis 22. Well, the first thing he did, he rose up early in the morning. I like that. I fully believe and I may be stepping on some toes now, and if I am, I've missed my target. I'm going for your heart. But I fully believe there's some folks that just like to sleep in on Sunday morning. Abraham rose up early. What's wrong with getting up early on Sunday morning and getting into the Word of God and spending time in prayer and preparing our hearts to come here and worship God? There's nothing wrong with that. Abraham didn't sleep in. He rose up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, it says. He got two of his young men. He knew he was going to need help, so he got two of his young men to go with him. He took Isaac, of course. You couldn't do what God said to do without Isaac, so he took Isaac. Then it says he clave the wood for the burnt offering. Here he is out there early in the morning chopping wood, getting ready, getting the wood ready to take to make this burnt offering. And then, after he had done all of the preparation. 
He's acting in obedience to God. He rose up and he went his way unto the place of which God had told him. Abraham got ready. God said, do it. I'm going to do it. There's some things I needed to do to prepare. He prepared himself and then he went in obedience to God. Here's why. Abraham knew that God was worthy of receiving everything that he had. All that he had without question and without reservation. How could he do this? Well, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. You know what it tells us? God can't lie. People say, well, God can do everything. No, there's one thing God can't do. God can't lie. Well, there's two things God can't sin either. Okay? God can't lie and God can't sin. And so God had given his word to Abraham. I'm going to bless all the people of the earth through your son. And so Abraham was willing to do whatever God said to do. And here's the great statement of faith that I mentioned in Genesis chapter 22 verse 5. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and we will return. Abraham knows what God said. Sacrifice him. By the way, that means kill him, okay? Just in case anybody has a question about that word sacrifice, take his life. But Abraham said, we're going to go and worship and we are going to come again to you. And folks, that's the point God would have us to come to. Not that we would be willing to take our children and offer them as a burnt offering to God, but such a degree of faith in God that there is no one thing, there is no one person that is more precious to us than God. I love my wife, but I'm supposed to love God ahead of her because I can't be the husband I need to be if I don't love God first. So nothing should be more precious to us than God. Can you honestly say, be careful now, can you honestly say that there is nothing in your life that's more important to you than God? I hope you can. Have you come to that place of absolute and total surrender? We'll do this when we understand this one thing. It's not my life. People say, well, it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. I've shared this with you before, but over in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, look at what it says. This is for those of us who are saved. What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You what? You are not your own. You don't belong to you. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. That's my body. I'll do to it what <laughs> It belongs to God now. Amen. He bought it. And the price that he paid was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And folks, there's an urgency to God's commands too. Abraham got ready, got up early in the morning to get ready. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work over in the night chapter of John. There's coming a time. We're getting, you know, we're getting to a point in this country where I would not be surprised if one of these days they say it is against the law to just go out and try to witness to people about Jesus. That violates some right that they have not to be bothered by you or, or what I think that day will come. When our witness is shut up or tries to be. 
We're in the daylight right now, and the daylight is the time to work. Listen, procrastination has caused the death of a lot of witnessing. I don't know if you have this problem, but I'll talk to somebody, and we'll get in one of these conversations about the brevity of life or something like that. Get through the conversation, go away, and I get about 10 feet away, and I think, well, I could have said this and opened up a great opportunity to witness to them. That's why we need to train our brains, train our minds to help us to be good witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an urgency to God's command. And we miss the opportunities to serve Him when we hesitate and we think, well, I'll do it later. I'll I'll do it another time. And anything that we do for the Lord is worth doing right. I'm just going to tell you something, and I've said it with you before. But there are some Sundays, some Wednesdays that I go away from here saying, you didn't do your best tonight. You didn't do your best today. Shame on you for not being better prepared. Shame on you for not studying more and being ready to be able to preach God's word, to teach God's word, to share God's word. God wants our best and anything, again, is worth doing right. Don't build with cheap materials, wood, hay, and stubble. Build with gold, silver, and precious stone. Do things for the Lord that he would have us to do. You know the saying, carpe diem, seize the day? Well, I don't know what the part of it is, but we ought to carpe the moment. We ought to seize the moment when the moment comes to serve the Lord. And right quickly, full surrender demands a reliance. Let's go back to Hebrews. Verse 19, again. Abraham accounted that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What a great reliance upon God. Here is what Abraham believed. God's made me a promise, and God's given me a command. And the command and the promise seem to contradict one another, don't they? All the nations of the earth will be blessed in your son, but now I want you to take your son's life. But here's the faith of Abraham. I'm going to obey God because God has the ability to raise him up from the dead after I obey God. If that's what God's will is, and that's what I want to do. He knew, see, here's here's the thing. He knew God's word. You can't be fully surrendered to God without knowing God's word. People say, well, I, I don't witness because... what if they ask this question, that question? Here's what you do. You get into the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You know the Word of God. You hide it in your heart like the psalmist said. And then you depend on God to help you remember things you've studied when you start talking to somebody about the Lord. Does God speak to believers today? He spoke to Abraham. Does God speak to believers today? Yes, He does. Oh, not in an audible voice. It's a whole lot louder than that. It is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is the open and closed doors that He sets before us. Abraham knew God's promise, and because he knew God's promise, then he was willing to do what God said. Think of all of the promises that God has made to us. You say, preacher, I can only think of one or two right now. We just get into the Word. You'll remember the rest of them. God has made many promises to us, and you know what? He's going to keep them. I have no doubt about it. And full surrender is more than just declaring our complete commitment to the Lord. It's carrying through on that commitment. I'm sure you've heard this illustration, but I'm going to use it. Three frogs were sitting on a log. Two of them decided to jump off. How many were left? Three. 
Two only decided to jump. They didn't jump. And that's the way some of God's people are. I'm committed to the Lord. Well, they decided they would be, but they hadn't jumped yet. And it sounds real good to say, hey, from today on, I'm going to be committed to the Lord. I'm going to do whatever God says. Lord, I'm doing it. But you know in the flesh that's impossible. Maybe my flesh is different from yours, but mine gets in the way. One of the hardest things for me to do is to sit down with books and at the computer and study because there's a million things outside that I can think need to be done. And so it's hard. But by God's power, we can do it. Remember, Peter said, though they slay me, I'll not deny you. What did he do? He denied the Lord. Verse 19 is Abraham's reliance. It's his dependence upon God. And you know what that brings us right back to? Faith and trust in God. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, the Apostle Paul said. And he wasn't talking about lifting cars and lifting weights. He was talking about serving God and being abased or being exalted. About serving God and having much or having little. Whatever situation God puts me in, I can do it. Now, there's another verse that I mentioned along with that one. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. John chapter 15, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. I want to be a great servant of God. Well, you better just get committed to the Lord and let him work in you and let him work through you. And full surrender will not occur until we completely sell out to God and his will for our lives and give him that control of our lives. That's when full surrender will come. Over in the book of Philippians, and we're going to read these verses, and we're going to get ready to close this message out, but Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul had a great position in the Jews' religion. But listen to what he said in verses 8 and 9. Yea, doubtless, and I count all, how many things? All things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's what Paul said about his life. Nothing more important than serving God and having his righteousness. And one of my many, many, many most favoritest verses of Scripture, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. That day when I accepted Christ as Savior, I died. That's what he's saying. I'm crucified with Christ. And then he says, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how Paul lived and God used him greatly as a servant. Maybe a lot of people just don't want to be servants. I don't know if that's it or not. But the great servants of the Lord that are listed in the Bible had one thing in common. You know what it was? They were all people of faith. They trusted God. And one of the greatest needs that we have among the Lord's churches today is people who would just say, I'm sold out to God. I remember 
I'm really older than I look. <laughs> but I'm old enough to remember when people were sold out to God. Yeah. On the job, in the home, everywhere they went. All of this garbage that's going on today, and it is garbage. It's of the world. It's ungodly. But we're getting our minds filled with it, and we're letting our children get their minds filled with it, and we wonder why people aren't sold out to God today. Because they've got too many other things they, that they love. Self being one of them. But I remember the time when people were sold out to God. And the greatest need for the Lord's churches, for this church, is to have people who are just sold out to God. It, my feelings don't matter. My desires don't matter. The thing that matters most, foremost in my life, is the will of God. And I want to do His will.